just some, always some good things. I have been all of my life expecting the next dinner. And you have too. I ate last night. By thunders, I want to eat this afternoon. And, and let me tell you, the parallel of that is that your spirit man needs to eat. You put a table before me in the presence of my enemies is not just like, uh, you know, something that, that is unreal. It, it really means that the Lord sets a table for us to eat. And so when we come to this part of the service, it's a time for our spirit to eat of the word of life. And so we ate last Sunday, the Sunday before, the Sunday before, the Sunday before. But we always, to those who hunger and thirst, will always be filled. This is, this is the Lord's promise. They that do hunger. And so if you're hungry this morning in your spirit, then let, just let the Lord minister to you. Okay? Amen? That Lord just minister into your heart. Uh, go with me to the book of Hebrews. I want to read one scripture. In Hebrews, the uh, fourth chapter. And I'll be talking a little bit out of this, this setting. But I want to just grab this one uh, scripture right out of the whole setting. The ninth verse. Hebrews, the fourth chapter. And the ninth verse. So then, there remains a rest to the people of God. There remains a rest. It's still there. There's a rest for the people of God. After all this time, there's still a rest for the people of God. It almost reminds me a little bit about His mercies are new every morning. You can't use them up. Well, I needed some mercy yesterday, so I guess today I've depleted the mercy bank. It, it never depletes with the Lord. And this thing about rest, it's always there. So I want to talk about that this morning. I kind of got two parts of a, of a sermon going here, and so um, you'll understand that in a minute. But let's just pray the Lord's blessing. Jesus, we ask you now, Lord, that you bless us. You bless your word, Lord. I can imagine every time that you sat and spoke, what a blessing it was to the people to hear the words of life and encouragement and strength. Lord, that you helped them. God, that you enlightened them. Lord, their, their journey became better because your word was found in their heart. And so we just ask you, Lord, this morning, do that same thing here. Lord, I pray that when we leave out of here this morning, we'll be refreshed and renewed in your word, that you'll touch us. We'll pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. We were Wednesday up in Locust Grove, and um, Sister Beth, friend of ours, friend of the church, we just had a good time going up there. It was a good time. Um, I wasn't feeling well, and I was, I was kind of she called on me to pray, and then so I, I tried to pray, and then she asked for the pastors to come up. Kay punched me in the side and said, that's you. And so I went on the way. I hooked a little rod, and we went up. And But she said something in her sermon and went a lot of places and quoted a lot of things. But when she read this verse, it just really kind of got a hold of me. And I was thinking about this. I have talked about this before, but it just came to life one more time. It was in Mark, the first chapter, and she was talking about the miracles that Jesus did in Mark, the first chapter. And the 34th verse, it said, And he cast out many devils, Yeshua Jesus, and did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. They knew who he was. That just kind of caught me because 
I'm thinking about this series of sort of sermons that we're going back in the Old Testament and taking out of the Psalms, taking out, we took out of Isaiah last week and, and just showing the Lord Christ in the New Testament, but we're, we're searching the scripture out and, and so this began to roll over in my mind. They, they knew him. The third chapter of Mark, the 12th verse said, and Jesus, he warned them the devils, he warned them very much that they should not reveal him. Wow. Demons have a certain level of understanding and revelation of who he is. Luke, the fourth chapter and the 34th verse, it said, one of the devils said to Jesus, he's casting this devil out of this man, and this devil says to Jesus, I know you. I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. And then Jesus rebukes them and always tells them, you shut up and come out. He doesn't allow them to speak. And so this this you know going over in my mind I'm I'm thinking I'm thinking why if the Lord came to reveal himself why doesn't he just let that be known And then on the other hand how do the devils know him How is it that they know him well, I guess, you know, if you, if you take some theology, you could go back into heaven at some point and say um, that the son was in heaven when they were cast out. And they knew who he was by virtue of he was the son of God in heaven. And, and then so they recognized him on earth. Well, I don't believe that and I don't teach that. I teach about the event of Christ being born. I teach about the event of God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. And so how do these demons, how do they know who he is? See, for starters, they were there when the prophets spoke. You will not encounter a devil that is not at least 6,000 years old. There's no new ones. If they could multiply, which they can't, but if they could multiply, they would fill the earth. They're just the same old spirits that were there a long time ago. And so we see this in history, and, and we talked about them coming up, surfacing. Um, there's, a, there's a scripture, and I think it's found, I, I'm not sure where it's found, but it said uh, uh, frogs, spirits coming up like frogs. A frog will go down, hide himself. He's in the mud. You won't hear him. You won't see him. You think he's gone, but he's not gone. He's just in the mud. But at the right time, he will come up and you will hear him. It seemed like and he'll go down again. I think they hibernate in the winter. I don't know, but maybe Dustin knows better than I do about frogs, but he knows about fish. But, but, the frog, he's down, you think he's gone, and all of a sudden he surfaces again. This is just like these demons that, that we are dealing with today. Any demon that you're dealing with today has already been dealt with by the church for thousands of years. And they are a defeated source. Can you say amen? They've always been defeated in Christ Jesus. So... How do these demons know who he is? They have an understanding, a revelation of who he is, and they're going to blurt it out. And there's something about that because it is not the will of the Lord for, for him to be identified as such at this time. In fact, it's later on in his ministry that he will ask his disciples, whom do men say that I am? He could have asked them, whom do demons say that I am? Well, you can't trust the devil anyway. Come on, say amen. The devil's a liar. Jesus said he's the father of lies, Satan the father of lies. And 
All of his little minions, they're nothing but liars. You couldn't trust them. And so if a demon comes out of a man and he begins to proclaim some things, well, he's not trustworthy anyway. But yet, how does that devil know? I, I, I believe that they heard the prophets. I believe they heard God himself in the garden in the beginning in the prophetic word that he said that Satan would be smashed underfoot by the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I think he began to put things together. I believe they searched the Scriptures. Now, you've never heard this before. I haven't heard it, never even thought about it. But the demons searched the Scriptures. Oh, yeah. Do you believe demons can read? Sure they can read. Where did they go to school? I, I don't know. We look at devils as, as though they are just stupid little Satan minions that don't know anything and all they do is just attack people and get in people. These demons are very smart, very intelligent, very brilliant. Now let me give you the proof that they read the scriptures. You remember this, Jesus in his temptation and Satan says to him in the final temptation, cast yourself down for it is written, he says. He's not ignorant of what is written in the Scripture. But he's just going to twist it. And that's, that's the problem with, with the devil's theology. He's got the Word, but he'll twist it. So it doesn't mean what God meant for it to mean. And so Satan and his little minions, they, they understand who Jesus is. Mm -hmm. They understand what the Scripture said about him. They're there when he's born. They're there when the prophecies begin to be fulfilled. That he's born of David's line. That he is born in, Micah said he's going to be born in Bethlehem, Judea, Ephratah. They, they know that. And they're watching and they're looking. And Satan comes to Jesus and said, if thou art the son of God then do this and that. But he's trying to gather all the information that he can, exactly what he's doing. They're not stupid. They're lying spirits. They know the truth, but they're just going to twist it. I've seen people that had devils get up and preach. And I knew they had devils because they lived like a devil. Get up and quote the word of God, but then twist it. So that it wasn't pure and it wasn't right. And you're just thinking, there's something wrong with this. You know, Satan comes as what? An angel of darkness? Oh, no. He comes as an angel of light. He comes to persuade. He can't persuade you if you already know that he's of darkness. But if he comes as an angel of light, now he has some ability to persuade you to come along with him into the light, which is really darkness. Amen? James, the uh, second chapter, he had something to say, and I, I need to bring this out. <coughs> James, the second chapter, 19th verse. You believe that God is one, and you do well. So this morning, I don't believe God is two. I don't believe God is three. I don't believe with Benny Hinn that God is nine. I don't believe with India that God is a million. God is just one. Can you say amen? He's just one. If you believe that, you're doing really good. You're up to the level of a devil. You got that high. Because then he goes on to say, even the demons believe and tremble. Now, I, I want to say something about this because I'll expand on this thought. It's the person of God that frightens them. 
It is the knowledge that they have of God that frightens them. Not what God can do. Not His power. Not what they know is going to be their end result cast into a lake of fire. They are frightened of the person of God. Scares the willies out of them. They believe Him. They know who He is. You do well to know who He is. But the person of God, and, and, and may I say this again, and I've preached this many, many times. Uh, the book of Corinthians says that we see God in the person, the prosopon of Christ. And they expand that to say the face, the face of Christ. But it's, not, it's, it's the whole person. It's the whole countenance of who he is. That God is exposed to us and God was exposed to us. God was exposed to devils in the person of Jesus Christ. And, and so this is what frightens them is that when he shows up in his presence. Not this idea of what God can do. Oh, he's the almighty, all powerful God. No, it's when he shows up that they fear and they tremble. See, Legion, he's just got this guy demon-possessed. He's running through the tombs. He's cutting himself. They can't contain him. He's, he's just a, a, a total wreck. And But when Jesus shows up, let me say, well, God is everywhere, right? You know, where can I go from thy presence? Oh, God, you're everywhere. If I, if I send to the heavens, you're out there. If I go into hell, you're out there. But when he shows up in person, there's something different. When Jesus shows up in person and hits the shore right there, that man comes running and realizes that who it is that's there. And the demon begins to cry out because he realizes who it is that is there too. So let me, to my point here, and, and I'm, I'm going to say this very softly. I think maybe we all fall in this category. Uh, Pentecostals, charismatics, apostolics, Holiness movement people, evangelicals, Bethelites, Word of Faithites, Branhamites, just the American full gospel church is seeking God's power and not His person. See, that's what's going on in Pentecostalism. Wanting the power of God but not the person of God. And so we come to this place where things don't mesh. Things don't go together. Things don't... Uh, and, and God help us in this body. God help us in this church. We don't, have, we don't have a corner on anything. All we're trying to do is expose the person of God. We're trying to show that Jesus Christ... Listen, we sang all about Him. I want you to know something in this church. This church is about Him. It's not about power. It's not even about deliverance. It's not even about salvation. The church is about the person, Jesus Christ, the Lord God of all. It's His church. <coughs> And we're seeking His power. So I contend this. I said this about God's love, and now I'm going to say it about His power. I contend that His power is not a substantive quantity that originates from Him, and then it has its own existence. His power is in His person. And so we're down, Lord, give me power. Oh, give me power. And, and, and get up and, and run a while and get back down to the altar and just everything we can do. God, give me power. He's not going to give you power. You're going to find his person real in your life. And that's where the power is.
Everybody okay? You looked at me like, boy, that's crazy. Yes, because we're a bunch of Pentecostals have been raised to believe that if we fast for a few days, that if we pray a certain amount, that if we get in the, in the line and we get enough oil on us, that we're going to have power in our life. I don't, I'm not pushing power this morning. I'm pushing the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ in our life. And when a presence of the Lord Jesus Christ is in our life, the power is there because He's there. So we don't like, you know, we're going to separate the power from Him. God, give me some power. When really, we need to seek Him. Can you say amen? Our priorities come into focus when we desire the personal presence of the Rabbi Lord Yeshua Jesus Christ. It all begins to come into focus. And, and I said last week about servants. When we desire the presence of the Lord, we become humbled before Him. We don't become haughty and grab the mic and we're telling this and that and ordering this and, and, and demanding that. That is not in the presence of God. That is in the presence of men. And the only reason why we do that is because we can manipulate people and we can act like the power of God is there. I almost showed it this morning. It's so disgusting that I really don't even want to show it to the congregation. But I was watching Kay and I. I said, look at this, Kay. This is what's called the power of God on YouTube. And I'm, uh, I, I watch Tommy Bates on there and, and some other things, some good stuff. And, and I get over to Rodney Howard Brown. And I don't know if you like him or not. I really don't care. But he's walking in front of people. And they, they claim on, on the uh, introduction that this is the power of God. And he walks by and the person goes, ah! and falls in the floor, and then he walks by the neck, ah, and they're falling. That is ridiculous and crazy. That is not the power of God. That is not the person of God. That is not the example of the presence of God. But it's easier to do that foolishness than to dedicate yourself to Him and find Him in your life. So now I can substitute this this. Power, it's just, oh, man, it just hit me. I'm rolling all over the floor. We saw it a few, few months ago. I saw they had what they called a praise break. And I may have already said this, but it's worth repeating. And in this praise break, they're just playing, man, the music is so ramped up. People are already going, they're, they're, you know, it just, it's just all ramped up. Everybody knows this is the power of God. And finally it all breaks. And they're running and jumping and doing all kinds of things. Guys just coming up, diving on the floor and rolling around on the floor. If Jesus was there, which he's not, but the only the people that rolled on the ground, he cast devils out of them. If that was worship, then he'd let them keep on doing it. Oh, that's good. Keep rolling around there. You know, and I, I don't want to sour us on Pentecost, but a lot of those ideas came out of Pentecost called holy rollers. You show me that in the scripture that that, that the Lord said, get on the ground and roll around in the dirt to praise me. He never said that. But we've taken these things in substitution of really the presence of the Lord and really finding the person of God. We've substituted it with other things. And that's where that does harm to the church. Can you say amen? When we come into the focus of His presence... Men's ideas and accomplishments mean nothing. I don't care where you've been or what you've done. Good, bad, or indifferent. When you get in the presence of God, none of that means anything. But the Lord begins to reveal Himself in our lives. When you get the priorities right and focus in the presence of the Lord, power and position are out the door. The mic doesn't mean anything. The drums, the guitar, the stuff around us, it means nothing. When we get in the presence of God, when, when His person arrives and we recognize Him in His person, these things mean nothing. But hearts are humbled. We become servants. And He becomes the object of all of our attention. So this is what we are trying for in the body of Christ. It should be. Can you say amen? It's not to see how many people that we can give so much, to get them to give so much money. 
It's not to see how many people we can get even to come and fill seats. How many people we can get to jump up and, and act like they're feeling all the presence of God. I would rather you stand there and just solemnly be quiet if you can feel the presence of God. You don't have to jump. You don't have to run. I mean, but if the Lord touches you, your hands will go up. If the Lord touches you, your tears, tears will come to your eyes. It's just a natural response. But that doesn't bring His presence. We have to seek for the presence of the Lord in the house, not the other way. And so this came to me, and so I delivered that. Now, I want to I search him out a little bit more and seek him out just a little bit more because when we seek him out and seek out his presence, we're going to have the answer to everything in our life. Do you know that God has an answer to everything in your life? There isn't anything he doesn't have an answer to. Everything has an answer. But where are you going to find that? You say, well, I'm going to find it in, in the Bible. Well, sometimes you're not going to find the exact answer in the Bible. Can everybody say amen to that? Have you had a problem? You're looking at it just It's nothing. It just doesn't exactly line up to where my problem is. But I want to tell you this. When you find the presence of the Lord, and you find the person of God, he's going to have an answer to whatever it is in your life. And so let's, let's look for him a little bit in the scripture. And then, uh, so this is like the second part of what I was going to preach this morning. Living in God's rest. Living in God's rest. We read the scripture in Hebrews that said, There remains yet a rest for the people of God. There remains a rest. So living in God's rest does not mean vegetating in his finished work. That's not what rest is about. I'm going to vegetate now. I got here, and I said my prayer, and I'm going to put her on cruise control into heaven. You know, no, no, no. Living in God's rest. There remains a rest for the people of God. Now, Brother Nathan Dennis, just one month ago, preached a sermon that had just this wonderful thought and it was about the Zoe life how many remember that the Zoe life and he talked about it and he began <coughs> with the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden and that they fell from the Zoe life of God and then men tried to get that life and tried to get that life and he followed that on down and I'm going to use that same kind of parallel but from another little bit different angle. And I want to talk about the rest of God. Adam was created on the sixth day. But I believe that he was birthed on the seventh. And I want to tell you why I believe that. I believe he was in the rest of God. Because God took his rest on the seventh. And Adam was created. And I, I believe God just breathed into him. The breath of life, and Adam became a living soul, but not just a living soul. He was in the rest of God. He was born in that rest where God said, I'm done, I'm finished, and now I'm stepping back and I'm going to rest. And Adam lived in that area with God. He knew what it was to be at rest with the Lord. And Eve, his wife, is now created and then she also understands the rest of God. But when sin comes, and each one of our life, when sin comes in our life, we suddenly don't feel the rest of God anymore. And this is what happened to Adam and Eve. They are kicked out of the rest of God. In other words, everything's going right. They know that God's their provider. He's taking care of them. They're doing whatever he says in the garden. He, they're tending it. They're doing whatever it is. But then all of a sudden they get taken by sin. And now they come out of the rest of God. They're no longer in God's rest. They fell out. And so this is what God said to Adam when you fall out of the rest of God. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. And in sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field, and in the sweat of thy face 
Thou shalt eat thy bread until thou return to the ground. That sounds like a, a lot of work to me. It doesn't sound like a lot of rest. Adam was tending the garden, but now God says to him, you're going to know the difference between my rest and what you have to do because of your sin. And that's going to be both physically and spiritually. And so he's falling from the rest of God physically. He's now going to toil. He's going to sweat just to make it work, just to keep beans on the table. Thank you, Adam. I wish he had never done that. We wouldn't have to do all the things we have to do to put food on the table. Because God had a garden, and he just let him eat there. Not now, Adam. You're going to learn what it's like to toil. And by the sweat of your brow, all the men say amen. And some of the women also, you, you work, you toil. But, but the men, we look at them as being the primary breadwinners in most cases. And, and by the sweat of our brow, I know what that's about. Boy, I have spent so many years in construction that sweat just running down my face. Um, I shaved my beard this last summer. I don't work that much anymore, but I do go out with a guy and say, I can't do it anymore. I don't know how you do it. That water coming through, I can't do it. I just need that clean face so it can all fall off. But I know what God said to Adam. I, I, I get that. But it wasn't only physically. They fell out of the rest of God Spiritually. And so now the toil that they feel are going to feel physically, they are also going to toil in the spirit. And I know there's some people here this morning that know what toiling in the spirit is all about. Feeling this, this pressure, heaviness. Seems like you can't just ever come to a place of rest in your spirit. Things are a turmoil. Things bother you. They just get you to a place and now you're upset and now it's not that you don't love the Lord. You just don't feel at rest about things. And this too is, comes we've inherited from Adam. And so now God is going to make preparation for that. You've left the rest... But I'll tell you what you do. Start bringing sacrifices. And so we know the first two boys of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, what do they do? They bring sacrifice because they're trying to get back into the favor of the rest of God and they can't do it. And they sacrifice and they sacrifice and men bring sacrifices and, and oblations and offerings to God. And it just seems like no matter how you do that, it never is enough. You never feel like you have come to a place of rest in God. And that's on purpose. And God brings the law in now with Moses. <clears throat> He's going to bring the law in. And I want to tell you about the law. The law would, is almost impossible to keep. About the time you think you've got it down, something else comes up. <coughs> It's turmoil. It's stress. Can you imagine trying to keep the old law? There is no place of rest. It's always pressure. It's always something more. The multiplicities of requirements. And even trying to fulfill that, after you have done your best to fulfill that, the questions remain in place in your life. So God says, I'll give them the Sabbath. The Sabbath, okay. The Sabbath, the day of rest. Seventh day, six days I shall work. On the seventh day you shall rest. And you get into the Sabbath. But the Sabbath does not bring them rest. It brings them more turmoil. More restriction. Nor what I can't do and what I can do. And they begin to fight over all the little elements of the Sabbath. By the time the Lord is there, the Sabbath... It is not a, it's not a place of rest. It's a, a, a kindle box of fire that people are just, just inflamed about. The Pharisees hate him because of what he does on the Sabbath. 
It's one of their main, uh, uh, what they feel like is blasphemy toward their system is what he does on the Sabbath. Then Jesus, he wants to tell them because they don't understand, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. They're looking for a rest that's not in him. There is no rest outside of him. Can you say amen? Joshua and Caleb in this chapter of Hebrews, the fourth chapter, Joshua and Caleb, they take up the mantle. And now Moses cannot go in and, and get the promised land. But Joshua and Caleb and the mighty men of Israel go in and take the promised land. Well, that must be the rest then that was going to fulfill what they needed in their life. No, that's no rest. They're at war constantly. Do you think Israel has ever been at rest? What's going on right now is just another part of where they've been. Israel can never be at rest. And I'll tell you why. Because they're looking the wrong place to get their rest. They said, let his blood be on us. Let his blood be on our children and our children and children. And, and they got it. But I, I think it's more about is that they missed what God had designed. And so now it continues and continues and continues. They've got a Sabbath. They have a promised land that goes all the way back to Abraham. They're fighting over that land. They will always be fighting over it. They have always fought over it. Doesn't sound like rest to me. And so if Joshua had given them rest, then David would not have said, Today. Today, after such a long time today... If you will not harden your hearts today, if you will hear his voice, there is a rest for the people of God. David is saying this way back years and years after they have come into the land. They've got their temple now. They, they are ready to build their temple in David's time. They are, they, they've got tavern. They've got all the elements there. They've got their sacrifices and priests and all the things that they need to bring peace in their life. And David says, by the word of God, today, after such a long time of no rest, there is a rest for the people of God. Can you say amen? There's a rest. And so, going back to the fourth chapter, Hebrews, therefore, let us fear lest perhaps a promise being left to enter into his rest, any of you might come short. But we're good God-fearing people, right? We're good Christian people. He's not writing to the devils now. He's not writing to the world. He's writing to the church. Let us beware. Let's be on your toes. There's a promise that's left. But you can miss it. Even as Christian people, you can miss it. Why would he say you could miss it if you couldn't? You might come short of it. And so there's this entry into the rest of God to get back where, all the way back to the garden where Adam was in the rest of God. Man's been trying to get back there all this time, but there is a re-entry back into the rest of God. Let me tell you where it's at. It's only possible in the Rabbi Yeshua Jesus. When in the 11th chapter of Matthew, he says this, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'm going to stop there and say a theology right now. He did not say, come unto me and I'll take you to a God somewhere who will give you rest. He did not say, come unto me and I'll introduce you to another person who will give you rest. 
He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn. Watch it. Go learn of heaven. Don't learn of triuneness somewhere. Learn of me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You come unto me and you will find rest for your soul. You don't need to go any further than him. Am I okay to say that? That's his words. He's the final destination of rest. You don't go any further. When you get to him, you stop. You enter in the door. He is the rest. And so only everything can be restored in him. He's not going to lead us to another person. And I love that. Now, now I want to read you something, and we're going to finish here. So get your Bibles out. If you have a Bible with you, because this, you might want to underline something. You might want to make a note here. I hadn't seen it just exactly this way. And so I want to take you to that fourth chapter of Hebrews. And I want to begin. I'm just going to read a little section of Scripture here <coughs> having to do with the rest of the Lord. So the 11th verse and uh, through the 13th, just, just three verses here. Therefore, let us, everybody say us, that's me, that's you, let us labor to enter into that rest that not anyone fall in the same example of disobedience. There's a lot of churches, a lot of ministries, a lot of paraministries that have fallen into the pattern of disobedience. Let me tell you why. They didn't labor to enter into the right rest. No, I want to enter into the rest of power. I want in the rest of gifts, signs, and wonders, and miracles. And there is no rest there. Because you get up in front of the congregation and you pull a miracle one Sunday, you're going to have to pull another one next Sunday to keep them in the house. I don't have the power to keep you here, and I'm not trying to keep you here. I'm trying to lead you to the one who will keep you in his presence. And so the rest is not found in the, the external things. It just isn't. It's found in another location. But labor to rest, labor to enter into that rest. Now, I want you to look at this next verse. And this just blew me away, and I'm going to share it with you right here. I've quoted this all my life, and so have you. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Normally, preachers, when they come to the pulpit, a lot of times will quote that because it's true. The Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Amen? No, no. Amen? Okay. You've got to be awake right here. The Greek words there for the Word of God is the Logos of God. I'm going to take you back to John 1, 1. And the Logos of God. And John 1, 14, and the Logos of God became flesh and dwelt among us. For my Baptist friends, and we love them, that book is not the rest of God. This book is not quick and living and powerful. I mean, get used to it. This is the stuff I say. You're like, Pastor, no, please don't say that. The book is not living. I could put that on my shelf and it won't even move. It's not alive. But the Logos of God. Who is the Logos of God? 
Well, you've got to know John, first chapter, 14th verse. And the Logos became flesh and dwelt among us. So we just talked about rest. We just said that Jesus said, come unto me and I will give you rest. And now we just talked about rest in Hebrews. The next verse says, and the Logos of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, alive. The Logos of God is alive. So we go to the Logos of God. And now it's going to begin to refer to the Logos of God as Him. This is, this is wonderful because it's what it does in John too. Uh, the second verse right on down, it begins to talk about the Logos of God being Him. Without Him, there is nothing made that was made. And begins to go down Him, Him, Him. Well, it does the same thing here. And so when we read this, look, look at how this lays out. Look at it. This is beautiful. And uh, so let's read it over. For the Logos of God is living and powerfully working, sharper than any two-edged sword, even piercing as far as the dividing apart of both soul and spirit of the joints and the marrow, and is able to judge the thoughts and intents of the heart. Is the Bible able to, sh- to, to judge the intents of your heart? No, the Logos of God is. Look how this lays out now. And there is no creature unrevealed before they get it before him not the bible again i think you just let, let me let me let me rehash this anything that you use in place of him is just replacement that's real replacement theology I'm going to put the Bible in his place so I don't have to know him. I don't have to understand him. I don't have to be close to him. I'll put the Bible in place. I'll put spirit in place there. So signs and wonders and miracles and laying my hands on people and seeing them fall in the floor. Anything that I put in the place of where his person should be in my life is not going to give me rest. It's going to give me confusion. That's why the church is confused. The church doesn't know praise anymore. They don't know praise from what the world's doing. And I have any idea what praise is about. They don't know the gifts of God. They have no understanding of what God's gifts are about. They have no understanding of the wisdom and knowledge of God because there is such confusion because He has been replaced with other things I cannot replace the Lord Himself with the Bible. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? You're looking at me like, that's crazy. Do we read and understand and believe the Bible? Yes, we do. But it does not replace the person of God in my life. I've known too many people that could quote Scripture like you would not believe. Put me to shame. Just had a a mind that could grasp and just... Keep quoting. But I noticed there was a void in their life. One man in particular who's still just as confused as he could be. He was with us. He could quote the Bible. He would sit up at night memorizing scriptures. He ends up now leaving his family, going off, drinking and carrying on and The Christ was not in him. The Bible was in him. You don't read the Bible to get Bible in you. You read the Bible to identify the Christ so you know the one who it's talking about. You read the Bible so you'll know the author of the Bible. Not just his words. Not just his power. not Not just his attributes. But you'll know the man that wrote the Bible. That's a little different approach, but I hope you're getting it a little bit. A little bit. Let's just finish this out right here, and we'll be done. And uh, there is no creature unrevealed before him, but all things are naked and laid open to his eyes. Not the Bible's eyes. To the Lord's eyes. Of whom is 
or Lagos. I found out a long time ago there's no rest in pills. There's no rest in the bottle. Can you say amen? Some of you who were in your trespasses and sins, and Paul said, you used to be. You know what I'm talking about. Talked to somebody just the other day. They were going to church and to go home and smoke dope. Weren't getting much out of church, were they? Because it's not about church. It's about the person becoming my rest. Are you troubled this morning? Are you troubled in your spirit? Are things overwhelming you? Are your burdens heavy? Come unto me, Jesus said. It's the same fix. I don't care what I preach. I always end up here. Pastor, can't you end up anywhere else? No, I can't. The Lord won't let me. Because he is all in all things. He's the one that completes our life. Can you say amen? Amen. So it always ends up in him. I find my rest. What do I find my rest in? You know, we traveled from California and got into Oklahoma. Now we're at rest. Praise God. No, 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 no. It took some of the ladies. I think the men were a little better with it. It took some of the ladies, and maybe some of the ladies are still struggling. I don't know. You know, pulled apart. We've got family members here and there and all that stuff, you know. And, and we're just like, oh. you'll never find rest in moving. There's no rest. Rest is in the Lord. Rest is yielding ourselves to the Lord. Coming unto Him and saying, Lord, I'm... I'm not at rest. I love you, Lord. I serve you, serve you Lord. I, I worship you, Lord. But I'm troubled in my spirit. And so the answer, it's always him. Can you say amen? So, Pastor, you got some answers? Yeah, I got one. I got a bunch of stuff, you know, this, that. Do you have any answers? Yeah, I got some. They're all the same thing. Come unto him. Come unto him. Can you say Amen. And so this is beautiful. We need to know him. And that's why we're searching the scriptures. That's why the book of Hebrews searches back. and says, I want to show you what the Sabbath should have been. I want to show you what the sacrifices should have been and couldn't be. And I want to show you what David said. He's struggling. He said, after such a long time, we haven't come into the rest. But I know somewhere there is a rest. And it was many years later that his Christ, his Lord, brought rest to the world. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, we just thank you. I hope that somebody heard this morning and realized, God, there is no rest in anything else. There's no rest in religion. We can't find the perfect church. It's just not there. If I can just find the perfect, that'll be the solution to my life. No, no. Lord, you are the solution for our life. To know you to understand you, God, to get revelation of you, who you are in your person, our Lord, our Savior, our Rabbi, our Master. Lord, that we could know you will bring us into your rest. We just ask you over all the congregation, everyone that heard, that we just release it to you. And we thank you, Lord. Amen. Can you say amen?